The world is crazy, it's pretty clear. You need to know why, how it affects the lives of those we hold so dear. I can't explain everything, but together, maybe we can find our way. Aren't you tired of the violence, the hatred, the racism? We need a brand new day. And what about climate change, housing that's substandard but still unaffordable, and our public education system that favors some and leaves so many others behind? But who's going to pay? And then there are the jobs with wages so low they make you feel worthless as you struggle to pay the rent and all the other bills piled high. Yes, we need a brand new day. Is there enough hope among us to overcome despair? Enough wisdom to overcome ignorance? Enough generosity to overcome deprivation? Enough goodness to overcome all those who claim to be patriots but hate their government? We need a brand new day. That's right, a brand new day. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, only on WDIY, and I'm your host, Alan Jennings. And that would be me. I'm happy to report that you are now listening to the award-winning Jennings Report. That's right, the Pennsylvania Association of Broadcasters doled out five Excellence in Broadcasting Awards to WDIY. I got one of them. We are matching the uppity folks down in Philadelphia. Take that, KYW. So thanks for joining me tonight. Folks, I'm obsessed with fairness. Maybe it's my experience as a middle child. Maybe my empathy for those who aren't as lucky as I have been. Or maybe there's a scary creature deep in the dark recesses of my consciousness. But I've, I've tried hard to be fair, even when I was tackling some unseemly slum landlord or predatory lender. I'd hoped that tonight I could bring you the two candidates for the Republican nomination for a chance to unseat U.S. Congresswoman Susan Wilde in Pennsylvania's 7th Congressional District. With me tonight is Kevin Delicker, but alas, despite multiple efforts by WDIY's news director, James Johnson, Lisa Scheller declined to participate. Maybe she thought her interview would be too laden with liberal orthodoxy. Maybe she felt she has front-runner status that might be put at risk. Whatever the reasons, it's disappointing that Ms. Scheller has declined to share her opinions with WDIY's very smart and very tuned-in listeners. So the fair thing to do is to note her absence, but it would also be fair to give the entire show tonight to the candidate who was all too happy to participate. So let me welcome Kevin Delicker to the Jennings Report on WDIY. Kevin, welcome. Alan, that was quite an introduction. Thank you very much for having me on your show, for giving me the opportunity to speak uh, with your listeners, and also for giving me the full time. That was wonderful. Well, Kevin, first thing I want to do is I want to thank you for your service in the armed forces. Everybody who, who was part of the armed services is a hero in my mind, and, and uh, you, you were there for, what, 26 years, I think, in the, what, is the National Guard or the Reserves? Uh, yes. In fact, I enlisted as an infantry soldier in the National Guard, and then I transferred to the Air Force and became an intelligence officer, and I've been in ever since. So, And it's also true, Alan, that it's a family affair. Uh, we talk about this a lot in the military. You know, we go out and do our thing as soldiers and airmen and Marines and sailors, but it's the family that allows us to do it. And I talk about that all the time. My wife and I actually wrote a book on the subject together, and it's something that, you know, I'll speak about every opportunity I get. Well, it's an honorable thing you did, and we appreciate it as all Americans, I'm sure. Let's start by uh, having you just introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, well, thank you very much. So, I grew up in the Lehigh Valley. I graduated from Northwestern Lehigh High School, which is in the Neutropoli area. My kids also went to Northwestern Lehigh. I have two sons in college right now at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. And my youngest is still in high school. He's going to graduate this year and go off to Penn State to be an engineer. 
My wife is my rock. I've been married to her for 23 years, and she is a school teacher at Palmerton High School. She was also my business partner when we decided to start our company many, many years ago, and she's been wonderful with me on the campaign trail and very supportive uh, for years and years, whether it was my military endeavors, my business work, and all the other things, and I just you know, couldn't do any of this without her. So uh, I did enlist in the military years ago, and my time in the service has been all as a part-time soldier and airman, which makes me unique among a lot of people who serve on the active duty. What that means is that I do my regular job, and I have my, uh, you know, my, my regular civilian work, but then I put on the uniform to go do training, and when the nation asks, I, I go overseas and fight a war and come back home again. I was able to do that four different times for the global war on terrorism, it's quite a lifestyle, and it sounds very unique, but there's actually 19,000 people in the Pennsylvania National Guard, and many of them have had to experience the same thing, and it's a story that's worth telling. So I know something about service. My father was in the military. My grandfather was in the military. My great-grandfather was a machine gunner in World War One, and my own son is actually serving today. So it's been in our blood, I think, between my grandfather and myself. We have 80 years of consecutive service, and, uh, you know, we, we know – what it's all about when we talk about serving, serving our country. It's extremely important to us. It's part of my identity. I also run my own business. Back in 2005, I had an idea for trying to help schools close the digital divide. So I pitched it to my boss. I was working for a private company in Harrisburg at the time, and he said, well, that sounds like a really great idea, but it's really not what we do. So I went home to Susan, and it was not an ideal time to start a business. We had purchased a new house and we had three babies at home and Susan had just quit her teaching job so she could be a full-time stay-at-home mom. But I said, look, I, I think I want to do this. I don't really know anything about starting a business. And I had a conversation with my minister about it and said, Pastor Bob, I know I can do this. I have a good idea, but I, I really am not experienced at all in what it takes to run a business. And if I mess this up, I'm probably going to lose our house. And he looked me in the eye, Alan, and he said, so what? <laughs> and I, I, I swallowed hard. I said, Pastor Bob, I, I don't think you heard what I said. <laughs> you know, I'm taking out a home equity line of credit. I'm maxed out here. If I don't do this right, not only will I lose the business, but I'm leveraged and I'll probably lose our residence. And he said, look, he says, I understand what you're saying. He said, but you have a great education. You have a wonderful family. And if you lose your home, you're going to have to go buy another one. And he said, you won't lose your family. You won't lose your health. And, you know, this is what the American dream is all about. And in a sense, Alan, uh, I have lived the American dream. I, I've been extremely fortunate, very hardworking, and you know I'm running to try to make sure that people uh, have the ability to do that throughout the Lehigh Valley and throughout the United States. And so I have business experience. Uh, we turned that little company that we started in our basement into, you know, one of the leading companies fighting the digital divide all across Pennsylvania, New Jersey. We've actually helped connect. Uh, more than 50% of all the school districts in Pennsylvania and New Jersey to the high-speed Internet using our process. So we're very pleased with that. Uh, it's helped a lot of students learn better over the years. And, uh, you know, I continue to do that. People think that I just run for office full-time, but I don't. I still have my job, and uh, right now I'm primarily focused on cybersecurity issues. But I go to work every day. I'm still in the service as a part-time airman. That hasn't changed and I volunteer in my community. I'm a deacon in my church, but now I'm also running for office. So I suppose that's the most intense hobby I have right now, but it's really important to my family. It's really important to the community, and it's, it's been an honor to run as a Republican candidate for Pennsylvania 7th District. 
You're, you're a first, first-time candidate for public office. Why Congress and not the Pennsylvania legislature or, or the county executive or, for that matter, the United States Senate seat? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I decided to run for office after reading a book that I was um, digging into for a Bible study. I, I'm trained as a Christian minister, and I was enrolled in seminary part-time for the past four years. I finished up in December of 2021. And about a year ago, before Christmas in the year 2020, I was uh, reading a book that I had read many, many times uh, called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and it talked about the need for what he described as Christian statesmen, people that could be true to their faith in Christ, but also try to put forward the idea of the golden rule as it was laid out in the Bible, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and to put that in practice as a statesman, as an economist, as a political leader, and I thought, you know, that's what I want to try to do. I want to try to implement the golden rule within the framework of the U.S. Constitution and try to help people protect the weak and the vulnerable and do the best that I could to help people be free the way the United States was meant to be. Now, at that time, I decided I wanted to run for office, but I didn't really know what office I wanted to seek. And after I saw the Democrats take control of Congress, and instead of providing a sense of normalcy and trying to, you know, help our country recover from the pandemic in ways that I thought would be productive and helpful, uh, what I saw was a lurch to the left. And I looked at our current congressman, and I thought that she was part of the problem, and I decided that that was the office that I wanted to seek. Uh, I wanted to try to uh, unseat Susan Wilde so that I could reverse some of those policies and do other things that I thought would help uh, the people of Lehigh Valley better. And that's really when I decided that I wanted to run for Congress. You have been so successful in all your pursuits uh, throughout your life. I could, I could see it in your, um, in your website, but especially financially. Do you think any American could pull that off? And if not, what public policies would you propose to make it all work for everyone? You know, I, I have been very fortunate. It's been the result of hard work. I, I've certainly been blessed. Uh, and, and my hope is that it is something that every American can pull off. Uh, but we've got to make some changes. Let me tell you a story that I think is indicative of the problem, and it's probably something you know similar to what you wrestled with with your work that you've done for many, many years, trying to help people you know, become successful entrepreneurs and become self-sufficient. When COVID hit, um, my three teenage boys were in the house. Will was sent home from college because they shut down his campus. And my two younger sons were still in high school at the time, and they were worried about what they were going to do for their summer job. They needed to earn some money for college and for spending money and to save for their education. And at that time, everything was shut down. So they decided to start their own business, a landscaping company, something that they had done, uh, each of them uh, previously working for different companies, and they thought that they could handle it and pull it off. So the three of them sat down and filled out all the paperwork and created a three-person limited liability partnership, Will, Jake, and Eli. And it was wonderful to see them go through this process. They did everything by the book, filled out all the federal forms, the state forms, the local forms, and they went on to earn about $9,000 over the course of the summer and made $4,000 profits that they earned, uh, the three of them working together. So they didn't make a ton of money, but it was, it was a great learning experience, and it put enough money in their pocket uh, in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Well, 
The problem came when it was time for them to file their taxes. Now, mind you, I've been in business at this point probably by 16 years, and uh, you know, so I've been paying my own taxes as a business owner, you know, time and time again. In a previous job, I actually was the economic policy to Pennsylvania Governor Tom Ridge, so I know something about tax policy. Well, I sat down with him to try to help him fill out these tax forms, and I couldn't figure it out. Um, I wrestled with it with them for a couple days, and finally we cried uncle, and we called up a CPA and said, here's all the documentation. Can you help us fill out these forms, which he was happy to do. But he responded with a $1,000 bill to prepare the filings and 151 pages of tax forms and filings for three, three teenage boys that did a landscape business, digging holes and whacking weeds over the course of the summer. And, and this is the problem, Alan. You know, we have these programs that say, let's encourage entrepreneurship and help people start small businesses. We encourage people to go, um, you know, open shops and open restaurants. But when they try to get involved and do it the right way and follow the rules and do it by the book, this is what you're faced. It's too complex. It's too difficult. And unless I was there to be able to walk them through that process, it was going to be very difficult for them to figure it out. We've just got to start breaking through this bureaucracy and helping people do their jobs and do their businesses without so many rules and regulations and controls that they have to deal with all the time. Uh, it's sort of a crusade for me when I get to Congress. I want to help encourage more ownership of companies, not less, more capitalism, not less, and I want to have ordinary people feel comfortable and empowered to be able to do these types of things. People seem universally angry about politics these days, likening some of the division to a modern-day civil war. Many think that just going to Washington is corrupting. You're working your tail off and spending a ton of money to be in the middle of that. What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I called up uh, you know, one of my friends and said I was thinking about doing this. He said, Kevin, you're crazy. He said, <laughs> you've, you've, got, you've got a wonderful business that you've built over the course of you know, the, the better part of two decades. You have a great family. You've been working so hard your whole life. You've gone to war four different times. Why are you doing this to yourself? You, you've got a wonderful life, and you're just disrupting it to throw yourself into this mess. But that's precisely why I'm doing it. I have all these experiences that I think provide qualifications and the background that I need to tackle these tough problems. And they're diverse experiences. They're related to national security. They're related to defense. They're related to safe communities. They're related to growing good jobs, you know, uh, strong families, all the things that people care about in the Lehigh Valley right now. And to be honest, if I just sat on my front porch and relaxed in my 50s, which I probably really would like to be doing right now, um, I wouldn't be doing my duty. And I've served my country all these years, and I think it's really important to try to, you know, get up and go out and, and make the changes that I think need to be changed to help people in the Lehigh Valley and, you know, in my opinion, to get our country back on the right course. And, and I'm running to defeat Susan Wilde and restore a Republican majority in Congress, but I'm also running, and I kind of have a chip on my shoulder about this, Alan. I, I want to prove that you don't have to be rich you don't have to be famous, and you don't have to be an incumbent politician to represent your neighbors in Congress. And there's all too many people within the political establishment that think that those are the things that are valued when it comes to sending our representatives to Washington. And I don't think the people of Lehigh Valley believe that. I think they want authenticity. I think they want to have people that they can look at and relate to because 
I've lived here my whole life. I know my neighbors, and I don't have to dress up and put on airs to pretend to be something I'm not. With Kevin Delicker, you get what you get, and uh, you know that's how I'm offering up myself to you know the people of the greater Lehigh Valley. You're listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. My guest tonight is Kevin Delicker, candidate for the Republican nomination to um, run against Susan Wilde in the 7th Congressional District in the fall. Kevin, um, uh, us guys have kind of been in charge for the entirety of human existence. Uh, I would argue that we have made a pretty ugly mess of things. Do you think the mess is a guy thing and that the pandemic, climate change, income disparity, military conflicts would have been different if women were behind the wheel? I don't know, Alan. I mean, women have always been a part of the process, too. Uh, You know, I look at what I've been doing and everything I've done has been in partnership with my wife. You know, I, I went overseas and served by myself. She didn't come with me, but if it wasn't for helping me, I wouldn't have been able to do those things, too. I, I think it's important that women are in positions of leadership, and I support that fully. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that the answer to our nation's problems is simply to say we have too many men in power and we need more women. Uh, we want to make sure that women have opportunities to run. And uh, in this case, I have a, a, a woman that I'm going up against in the Republican primary. And if I win, I have a woman that I'm going to go up against in the general election. And I hope people of the Lehigh Valley look at me and my background and my experience and my policy positions to determine who they're going to vote for not my sex. The inability of our market to function in a way that matches consumers with housing they can afford is causing a multitude of, of aberrant outcomes, from more homelessness to people paying far too much of their income in housing. This is an issue that's affected low-income people forever, but it's now gotten to the point where everybody's affected. I know a person who bought a 900-square-foot house in Alexandria, Virginia, and paid $670,000 for it. I mean, this is just a crazy marketplace. What would you do as a member of Congress to facilitate a market that functions properly in the housing industry in particular? It's a very, it's a very sensitive market. It's very local. It's very quick to respond to issues. How would you intervene as a member of Congress in, in the housing market in order to make it work a little bit better for, for more people? Yeah, that's a great question, Alan. And it's not just a city problem. I mean, where I live out here in the country in in the Germansville area, there's a lot of people that would love to have a starter home and move into the Northwestern Lehigh School District, but there's just not any houses that are available. And mm-hmm. when, when there is a home that becomes available, it, you know, it, it, it pops up and it sells for more than market value and it's yep. gone in seconds. And, yep. you know, it, it, it's a crisis. It really is. I think part of this is related to the, um, the general problems that we see with inflation right now, and I think this is one area that I have a very different view than my Democratic opponent on how to fix the problem and what the source of the problem is. When we were emerging from the pandemic a year ago and, you know, the lockdowns were were waning and the economy was starting to come back, uh, we had a choice. We could either let the economy emerge and let market forces take over, or we could, you know, take more steps at the federal level and flood the economy with money. And that's what we did. It was the Biden, Susan Wilde, the Congressional Democrat proposal, and it was $2 trillion worth of new spending that entered the United States economy just as we were emerging from the pandemic slowdown. And uh, it was combined with things like, uh, you know, policies that essentially, you know, discourage people from working. 
And, uh, you know, we still hadn't lifted all the controls on the economy, so the supply chain issues were exacerbated. So we had flooding the market with more cash, even though there wasn't enough stuff to buy, which is the prescription for inflation. And I think that the reason that we have such high inflation in the housing market, in the energy market, in the food market, and all the things that we're dealing with with high inflation right now is because of those policies, not because of coronavirus, not because of the, the evil energy companies. It's because of the policies that we enacted that flooded the market with cash. And unless and until we stop that deficit spending and stop flooding our economy with federal money, we're going to, continue, we're going to continue to have inflation. And that's what was so dangerous about uh, the follow-up proposal that was being pushed all throughout the summer and into the fall, you know, the Build Back Better Act, which was going to add another $2 trillion into the economy. Thank goodness that didn't go through because, you know, if we have 7% inflation now, who knows what we would have gotten, and it hangs by a thread. You know, if it wasn't for one senator from West Virginia, that might be the law right now, and I think it would have just made matters worse. Well, you know, we can't have an overheated economy. That's the problem. And I think, you know, the stimulus came at a time, as you said, when there was a, a, a recovering market. But there are still so many people left behind, children, old people, people who can't afford housing. What do you do to, to uplift all, you know, to, to make sure that the rising tide truly does lift all boats? Yeah, that's a great question, Alan. Um, you know, the inflation hits those people that are the most vulnerable. And I think this is one of the you know, the big lies about the current Democratic program in Congress and in, in Washington right now. You know, we hear all the time that we're going to pass all these laws and enact all this new spending, and it's not going to affect anybody except people who earn $400,000 or more or whatever the threshold is for that particular period. But what people don't understand is that inflation behaves just like a tax. So even though you're not raising taxes on low-income people and senior citizens, when you enact inflationary policies that push up the prices for everything that we need to buy, all it does is act the same way as if you were raising taxes on those people. And it hits the poor and the vulnerable and the elderly disproportionately. I mean, we can't afford $4 gas in the Lehigh Valley. Senior citizens on fixed income can't afford the constant rising of pricing that we're seeing right now. And we're seeing the wage gains that we saw over the past four years and the gains that people were making as, as working uh, families uh, erode because of inflation, even as wages are rising. So I think we have to focus on inflation. We have to get our federal spending under control. And for me, that would be the number one priority of economic policy when I get to Congress. When the pandemic hit, many of us were appalled by the politicization of public health. Today, after hundreds of thousands of our fellow Americans have died, including more than 2,000 residents of Lehigh Northampton counties, we have many who don't want their government to limit their personal freedoms uh, to once and for all stanch the virus. If you, had, if you had been in charge from the beginning, how would you have balanced that dichotomy? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's another great question. Um, I, I think we have to stop the mandates and the controls. Um, you know, one of the things that I think was the biggest mistake from the Biden administration, and I think if you look at uh, the federal law, you know, and, and in fact, it was ruled unconstitutional. This executive order that was passed that mandated vaccines for private employers by using our OSHA regulations. Well, if you just read that legislation, you could see that this was a stretch. And I think the Biden administration actually realized that this was probably illegal, but he did it anyway. And, you know, this has become a pattern. You, you issue a suspect executive order that probably isn't going to pass muster 
but it goes out there for six, nine months, 12 months while it's being litigated. And in the meantime, people are actually executing the order before you finally say, no, this isn't, uh, this isn't legal anymore. So I, I think going forward, if we have another pandemic, we cannot close down businesses the way we did. We should not be forcing people to get vaccinations by federal law. And uh, that's been, I think, one big reason for the backlash that we've seen. And it cuts across everything. People don't like to be told what to do. People will do reasonable things if they think they believe in them in order to uh, um, combat public health emergencies. But they didn't trust what the government was doing. And part of that had to do with the conflicting advice and in some cases, the arrogance that we got from people in the federal government. Uh, you know, this idea that elites sort of pat us on the head and tell us what to do, that they'll take care of things, even when they don't really know all the answers, is one of the reasons uh, why I think there's been a backlash against that nationwide. Now, how do you respond to the point that in the states that have, you know, so-called red governors where they let um, – let the uh, you know the virus response be a little bit more lax. There have been much greater incidences of of getting a COVID and much greater incidences of people dying. I mean, if I was a Republican, I'd be concerned that red states are going to be turned to blue by virtue of the just that difference in loss of life. I mean, so so how do you? I mean, I'm still not sure about the balance. You know, I mean, yeah, honestly, Alan, I, I I'm not sure that I've heard those statistics. In fact, I thought. In, uh, in a number of cases, uh, you know, like in Florida, when they were, you know, leaving the economy open and they weren't forcing, you know, students to wear masks in schools, that they were actually having better results than what we saw in places like New York where the mandates were stricter. So I, I'm not really sure what statistics you're referring to, but I'd really want to look into that before I comment it. Well, that, that gets back to the question of what is a fact, you know? So, <laughs> you know, we've got ours, they've got theirs, you know, and, and you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to tackle a problem when you, don't, when you can't agree on the facts, you know? <laughs> that's, that's the challenge, you know? So um, let's, let's talk about Ukraine. I have been just... I mean, I don't even. I'm so emotional about what's going on and watching the barbarism that's going on in Ukraine. How, how does how does this end? You've been in in war. Um, I mean, again, I'm 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 admirer that you could you could withstand that. Just I mean, the psychological pressure by itself is is enough. But how how do we end this this genocide that's going on in, in Ukraine? Well, there's so many levels to that question. Let me let me start with one of the questions that I get asked often. Do, do I think we should send American troops to Ukraine? I have a pretty straightforward test to determine whether or not, as a member of Congress, I would send American troops into combat against a foreign power. Would I send my own son, who's in the infantry, to fight and die for a cause? If the answer is no, then I'm not going to vote to send anybody else to do the job either. If the answer is yes, then it better be a winnable mission with an achievable goal that allows us to get in, get out, and get the job done successfully. One of the problems that we have today with American power is that we don't effectively use all the avenues that we have before we call in the military to bail us out. Economic power, diplomatic power, the power of information, all of the levers that we have to be able to influence what other people think about us, what our alliances are, and how we approach problems like what we're seeing in Ukraine, we've got to have a much better comprehensive strategy 
before we just reflectively say, let's go call out the troops. When it comes to Ukraine, yes, we need to be hitting them with sanctions that punish the economy for what's going on. But to the best of our ability, we need to target these sanctions to their ability to make war. And one of the problems that we have right now is Europe is so invested in Russian petroleum products that even if we sanction them from the United States and cut off the little bit of oil that we buy from Russia, they're still financing that war effort because they're buying petroleum products from Russia. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, even if we cut off the European flow of oil, they're still going to send it to China. They're still going to send it to India, and they're going to still send it to these other places that are going to fuel the war machine. Targeted sanctions work. Diplomacy has to continue. We have to continue to supply arms to the Ukrainians so that they can fight back against the Russians. But it's a very, very dangerous situation, and it also portends to what's going on in China. We are seeing what happens when an autocrat feels empowered to do his own thing. And the bigger issue for me is how we react to China. The ideology and the plans and the aggressive nature of that Chinese communist regime is every bit or more dangerous than what we're seeing from Russia right I now. I agree. I agree completely. And, and this it scares is one the hell of the out of me, Kevin. Um, yeah, no. Alan, and this is one of the biggest distinctions that I have between myself and my Republican primary opponent. For years... The prevailing view in the United States was that if we simply engage China and show them how to trade and show them how to be a free enterprise market, that that freedom economically will eventually open up their markets and lead to a free political system. We have to conclude now that that didn't work. And the stuff that China is doing right now in terms of genocide against their own people, forced abortions, slave labor threatening Taiwan, repressing Hong Kong, environmental destruction, putting fentanyl across our borders, lying about the origins of COVID-19. Creating islands, and extending their borders. Keep, you can go on and on and on, and I call them atrocities. If you acknowledge all these atrocities that are being perpetrated by the Chinese government right now, I don't know how you can possibly just say that we're going to continue to do business as usual. And that's precisely what my primary opponent is doing. She already has one factory in China and another facility over there. And we know from her financial disclosures that she gets between 33 and 95% of her business income from Chinese operations. Mm. She took over a business from her family, and she proceeded to close two factories in the United States while she opens two in China. She reduced her domestic workforce by more than 50% while she increased her foreign workforce by a factor of seven. And now we've learned that she's opening another factory in China starting in 2023 that would coincide with her start to her first term in Congress, and that she's actually got a strategic partnership with the state-owned metals conglomerate, which even Chuck Schumer has said you need to avoid because of their predatory practices to put American steel companies out of business. This is who I'm running against in the Republican primary, and I'm trying to get people to understand the extent of that relationship and the conflict of interest that it presents. And I've asked her to address it in debates. I've asked her to respond in written materials, 
and um, she hasn't. Maybe this is why she didn't want to go on your show today. Yeah, I was going to say, and I'll remind you that she is not here on the show tonight. Yeah. First of all, Kevin, I would tell you that that's some pretty impressive opposition research you've got there. You did say you had some experience in the American intelligence apparatus, so uh, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, it's, it's all out there. Uh. If people just do a little bit of digging, it's all open source. Uh, I mean, you have to do the math problems when you look at her financial disclosures, uh, and they don't make it easy to do that analysis, but it's all there for review. And, uh, you know, I want Republicans that are trying to make a decision about who they want to vote for to understand the difference. You know, personally, I don't know how you can go to Washington and cast votes on national security uh, as a member of Congress while you're cutting ribbons on a new factory in China. And that's a conflict of interest. And, you know, more amazingly, she actually said that she supports efforts in Congress to ban American congressmen and women from owning stocks in American com companies because it's too much of a conflict of interest. At the same time, she defends her ability to own and operate factories in China. It's illogical, and it doesn't make any sense. Kevin Delacker, Republican candidate competing with Lisa Scheller for the nod to represent the Republican Party in the November election against uh, Susan Wilde, the two-term incumbent in the 7th Congressional District. Kevin, I guess the, the last question is, people will tell you that you go to Washington, you're going to be corrupted. They're so cynical about their government. They're so cynical about how the world operates, usually with a considerable degree of ignorance. How do you go to Washington and not let that corruption happen to you? You know, Alan, I think about this question every day. And the correct political answer is that, oh, Alan, it could never happen to me because I'm so strong and I've got such great morals and I'm such an upstanding guy that when I get down to Washington, I'll be immune from all that. Let me tell you something. When I first started to run, one of the strangest things that occurred is all of a sudden, as someone that never really had to ask anybody for anything, I had to approach people and ask them for their support. I had to ask them for their votes. I had to ask them for their time. I had to ask them for their financial resources. And you can totally see how this process can corrupt an individual. I'm eyes wide open to how this process worked. And, and I am stealing myself every day. I'm praying. I'm staying well-rooted in my civilian job right now so that I can interact with ordinary people doing normal work and not get caught up into this political race. I, I still serve in the military where I... Uh, interact on a, on a regular basis with people who are well-grounded in the service of their country and are doing it for the right reasons. I have to continue to immerse myself in the Bible. I have to continue to um, be around normal people and ordinary Americans because I can totally see how this can change a person. Uh, part of what I want to do is go down there, get in, get the job done, come home, and let somebody else do it. I think if you do it in small bites, that also is going to protect you. But uh, I am well aware of what this can do to people, and it is my mission to make sure that I can serve faithfully, not just to my Lord, but also to my family, preserve that reputation that my father and my mother have helped to build and my grandparents before it. I, I don't want to bring any ill will to the Delacre name, and I want to make sure that all of these people that are supporting me, because I'm authentic, because I'm an ordinary guy from Neutropoli, that I don't let them down. Alan, I got a check in the mail from a man I met up in Stroudsburg 
an elderly gentleman, and it was for $5. Hmm. And when I took that check out of the envelope, my hands were shaking. Yeah. Because I know that there are people who are giving everything they got to help me, and it's absolutely humbling. And, and yes, this is the number one thing that I want to ensure that I don't turn into one of them when I get down there. And it's the number one thing that I think about, pray about, and, and ponder every single day. Folks, that was Kevin Delacker, candidate for the Republican nomination for the uh, opportunity to run against Susan Wilde, the incumbent for uh, Congress in the 7th Congressional District. Kevin, thank you for your time. Thanks for your uh, service to this country, and good luck in the primary. Alan, thank you so much for having me on your program. You know, this debate that I had was limited to one-minute segments, and if you went over 60 seconds, you got a buzzer. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult to elaborate and provide context and to change people's minds if all you're doing is bulleted sound bites. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show and that you give me the chance to talk like this. Thank you for all you've been doing for the Lehigh Valley for so many years, and it was a pleasure to be in this conversation with you today. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Okay, stick around for my final thoughts. On WDIY, this is the Jennings Report. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Celtic Fair, a celebration of Celtic music and culture from its roots in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Brittany, and Galicia to its branches in Australia, Cape Breton, Canada, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and the Lehigh Valley. Music, interviews, and a weekly culture calendar every Thursday from 7 to 9 here on WDIY. The following thoughts and opinions do not necessarily reflect the thoughts and opinions of WDIY, its affiliates, and or its staff, members, and volunteers. Welcome back to the Jennings Report on WDIY, and these are my final thoughts. If you love your country, you're loving your neighbor, your friend, your colleague, the guy down the street, and that person you don't agree with, because each of us is, well, us. We must see each other as members of the same tribe with a common agenda, to have some freedom to be unique individuals but do so with care, to be able to pay your bills, to raise a family, to live long, to love, to be loved, to die in dignity. With all due respect, that means we need to be more sharing than accumulating, more thoughtful than conniving, more friendly and more willing to understand that nobody gets it all. I recognize that this is, this is least likely to occur during the mudslinging of a campaign for elective office, but it is the time when that approach is most needed. Consider whether the United Nations, almost every scientist and many of our neighbors could possibly be lying about the dire consequences of our not taking aggressive and immediate action to stop the baking of our planet. Instead of being excited that our climate is like the climate of Richmond, Virginia, or having to worry about the unprecedented floods, tornadoes, snowstorms, and record-breaking heat, ask yourself whether, if you were in desperate need to end a pregnancy, how you would feel if some male bureaucrat told you you aren't mature enough to make the right decision. And what if you were a smart kid but were born in the Allentown School District? Whether it's fair that the kids lucky enough to be born to parents who can afford a big house in the suburbs will get a totally different education. 
Consider the ways that you might judge someone's integrity as a key factor in your decision. Is this person honest? Is the candidate exposed to people of color, poor people, gay or lesbian, or disabled? Or do they spend most of their time in the safe confines of the country club with people who look just like them? Do they earn their living being a slum landlord or paying their workers too little to survive on? Do they take time to listen to you? Or did they only hear the demands of those who already have access to power? I would suggest that avoiding an audience of WDIY listeners might give you a hint. This is an off year, which means the presidency is not in play. But the United States Senate is, and Pennsylvania has an open seat with the retirement of Pat Toomey. Every member of Congress is up, all members of the Pennsylvania House, and both Senate seats here in the Lehigh Valley. Friends, each of these positions matter. There are people around the world who are fighting for the right to vote in a fair election. There are people around the world who are dying for the cause of democracy. Let's not let a fallen president convince you that somehow 7 million votes, the number by which Mr. Trump lost, were somehow cast illegally. Democrats wouldn't have any idea how to pull that off, even if they wanted to. It is a lie, and that is a fact. Why would you vote for a liar? Why would you vote for someone who was endorsed by that liar? Pennsylvania's primary election will take place on May 17th. That's just about five weeks away. If you are of voting age, don't ta- waste any time trying to convince yourself that it's okay to not vote. Thankfully, it is your right. Now please make it your duty. Those are my final thoughts. Thanks for listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY, listener-supported public radio. I want to thank James Johnson, the news director here, for helping to make this show come off as well as it does. I'm Alan Jennings. I hope you check back with us on May 12th, just in time for the May primary. Have a good evening.